Hey everyone, Dr. Ellen here, the Midlife Whisperer. I am so thrilled that you are here today because we are talking about self-care, which is one of my absolute favorite topics and something that midlife women struggle with so much. You know, and it's at midlife, self-care is a necessity. It is not a luxury. It's not about just massages and bubble baths, but it, it's so much deeper than that. It really is a practice. It's something that you do every day. And, it, you know, at midlife, it changes as you do, because like adolescence, midlife is a major phase of life in everything, including how you feel, how you think, how you make decisions and interact with the world is shifting and changing and your self-care practices need to ship with you. And they are so vital to support the growth that is happening you know, inside of you and outside of you. And today's show is going to help you break through your biggest self-care roadblocks and develop a new framework to identify what you need in the moment. My guest is one of the UK's leading self-care experts. She's a psychologist and author, Susie Reading. Susie's going to share how to rest to reset. I love that. Today's show is all about rest to reset and manage your energetic bank balance. Like who doesn't need that today? And she's going to help you revolutionize your relationship with rest and ultimately your relationship with yourself. So it's going to be an awesome show that is going to give you tons of tips and help you to elevate your self-care practice. And I want to let you know that today's show is sponsored by Vividly, a platform that empowers women to transition, edit, and flourish through midlife. You can check Vividly out at live-vividly.com. That's live-vividly.com. And if you want to know anything about me, you want to connect with me, I'm at themidlifewhisper.com. That's themidlifewhisper.com. And I am actually doing a free self-care workshop the end of this month. If you're listening to this in September of 2023, and you can get that information in the show notes, you're going to actually walk away with a whole blueprint. And today's show is really going to help you with your self-care. But before I bring Susie on, I want to talk a little bit about my experience with self-care. So in my 40s, my self-care sucked. To be truthful, pretty much the first four to five decades of my life, self-care was so much about exercise and diet. Does that sound familiar? Doing all the things to lose weight, to like have that perfect body. It was kind of like this, oh my gosh, completely about self-improvement instead of self-love and self-compassion. And, you know, in my 40s, I was a personal fitness trainer which if you've listened to me, I've said this a lot. It was like being an alcoholic working in a liquor store. I was addicted to exercise. I love exercise, but I, I tended to really overdo it. I worked out with all my clients four to six hours a day. I really was going low on the calories. You know, on the outside, I looked great. I was that like buff, you know, group exercise instructor. But inside, I was a mess. I was exhausted. I actually had undiagnosed depression and Hashimoto's disease. I had two little children, a marriage that sort of fed that inner critic. Things were a mess and I really wasn't doing the self-care dance the way that I am now. 
And fortunately, I found self-compassion. I uh, met uh, Kristen Neff, who was on my dissertation committee, and she uh, inspired me and also required me to learn self-compassion. So I went off to the Omega Institute uh, for five days and learned uh, basically mindful self-compassion with her and Christopher Germer, went on to take the mindful self-compassion teacher training. And for the last decade or so, I've been practicing self-compassion which is essentially uh, treating yourself the way you would a good friend. And it really has changed my self-care MO. Now, what I do, and I recommend this for you, is you know, I have a big list of all the ways I love to take care of myself. You can make a list of how you already take care of yourself, how you'd like to take care of yourself in the categories of body, mind, heart, spirit, and relationships. And then when you notice, oh my God, I am exhausted. I need some self-care or I'm struggling, I'm suffering. You pull out the list and you give yourself what you need. And what you're going to discover when you meet Susie in a moment is that, you know, self-care can take moments and it can be absolutely free. One of my self-care go-tos is just, just taking a deep breath. You can do that right now. Even if you're driving, if you're walking or wherever you're listening to this, just take one deep breath. Perhaps place the hand on your heart. Maybe repeat a little mantra like, I love and care about myself. I'm here for me today. And that's it. 30 seconds, absolutely free. So let me bring on Susie because I know she's got a whole toolkit of self-care practices for you. Susie is a mother of two and she is an author. She's the chartered psychologist and coach and she specializes in self-care, helping people manage their stress, emotions, and I love this, their energetic bank balance. I can't wait to get into that. It was her life experience of motherhood colliding with the terminal illness of her father that sparked her passion for self-care, which she now teaches to her clients, young and old, to cope during periods of stress, loss, and change, and to boost their resilience in the face of future challenges. Her latest book is Rest to Reset. It's hot off the press. I just purchased it. It is beautiful. Illustrations, tons of practices. You got to pick it up. We'll put it in the show notes so you can grab it. Susie, welcome to Rock Your Midlife. I am so excited to welcome you and join you to the conversation. Oh, thank you, Ellen. Thank you for such a lovely, warm welcome. And there's so much in what you've said that really strikes a deep chord. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, thank you. Well, let's start off. Tell us about your experience. So it sounds like you were a caregiver. I don't know yeah. if you had kids at the time and how you went. And we were talking, you know, before we kind of started the podcast about you being a personal trainer as well. And I'd love to know how you got into making sort of self-care your, your mission to share that with people. Okay. I think what you said about our self-care needing to change with the evolving seasons of our life, that really resonates. And I think that's that's really where my my personal journey with, with self-care as a concept began. So I, I think it's it's fair to say, you know, I, I was a, a, a personal trainer and a yoga teacher. I trained to be a psychologist. I had, I had an extensive nourishing toolkit that I was well-versed with. I had a real commitment to taking good care of myself. Um, but when I became a mum at the same time as effectively losing my dad, mm. 
the things that I would normally do to nourish myself didn't hit the sides. You know, the fact is I didn't have the same time, the same freedom, the same energy. Um, I needed a whole different toolkit. I needed my, my, my needs completely changed. But also at that time of squeeze, you know, in that brain fog, that, that what I can only describe as energetic bankruptcy, it was really hard to put my finger on alternatives. And I think this is something that resonates broadly. When we need it the most, that's when the things that we used to do or normally do are hard to do. And it's really hard to identify how we can take care of ourselves in the moment. And what I love that you said to do was to, to write a list, map it out. That's why I've written eight books yeah. on self-care because I've got lots of different frameworks and I have, I, I, I like to conceptualize in different ways that I want to provide people a roadmap of if you're feeling like this, try this. And here are 10 different practices that you can use in that moment. So yeah, the, the journey keeps evolving. And I love that yeah, I started with the self-care revolution and then I was able to write for parents and then I was able to look at self-care for tough times. And then this latest book of being able to look at rest, that it's such a juicy, juicy subject. So thank you for having me on to talk about it. Oh, my pleasure. And it is so ironic that when we need it the most, we when we need self-care the most, we don't do it. I was talking to a client the other day and she has a uh, she has three boys and one of them actually has a really serious disease, which makes it incredibly difficult um, for her. And she had given up her meditation practice. And I was like, no, this is really what you need to do right now. But it's so hard. And you talk about this in the book about First of all, it is hard to find the time and do it. And also there is this sort of, um, I think it's, it's, it's societal, but it's also subconscious that rest, giving ourselves what we need. When we start to do the, all of the, those things, we feel guilty or we feel like, uh, you know, in this hustle culture, I got to be productive all the time. What do we do about that? And why is it so bloody hard for us to slow down and take 30 seconds to yeah. close our eyes and simply rest? Yeah, I think there are a number of different barriers and the conversations that I've had over the last decade around self-care, the standard things people say is I don't have time, I haven't got the energy, um, I don't have the freedom to do it, I can't afford it. And to be honest with you, I, I could give people a, a hundred different things that would overcome those barriers and still they're not doing it because there's one other barrier there. And I think it's it's a really insidious one. And I think it's because we are conditioned to feeling like we must be selfless to be a worthwhile individual mm, right and that conditioning starts really really young so it's it's not even that I don't feel worthy of it. it it's the fact that we don't feel like it's okay to be a separate entity to be our own selves yeah if you look at the messaging um a good baby is one that doesn't cry it doesn't trouble its parents it sleeps well what do we learn from that we learn that it's not okay to give voice to your needs. It's, it's not even okay to have needs. And then, yes, we've moved on from expecting children to be seen and not heard, but still children are expected not to talk back to grown-ups. Yeah? The fact is teachers and parents and grown-ups don't see everything and we don't get it right every minute of every day. So if our children are discouraged from speaking up, for advocating for themselves, how on earth do they advocate for themselves in adulthood? 
And then you get to the messaging around motherhood, that we must be selfless. No wonder we feel guilty about taking time for ourselves, but certainly what I've learned, and I learned it the hard way, when I became a mom, I, I wanted to be present for my little girl. I wanted to be there for my dad and my mom. But what I learned really, really quick smart was that my depletion served nobody and that my replenishment served everybody I cared about and every person my life touched. Yeah, that is so powerful, but it is, it's interesting. We do learn it from, you know, day one that we're supposed to be small and quiet and not have mm -hmm. our needs met. And especially as women, you know, a lot of us are our mothers just doing for everybody else. And that's something what I see with clients, I work with something called immunity to change. And there's this deep guilt is there keeping something in place. I had one mm -hmm. grandmother who was working two jobs, absolutely exhausted, not doing any self-care, even though she liked doing this, she liked moving her body, she liked exercising, eating right. But it was this underlying belief that if I, take care of myself if I take that you know exercise class or prep my meals I won't be needed and loved I'll put my if I put my kids off if I say you know what I'm taking time for me they won't there was this underlying belief that you know I won't be loved how do we deal with that guilt because the guilt's there to protect us but guilt is not a productive emotion if we're not doing something wrong if we do something wrong and guilt shows up it's like okay if I yell at my kids I feel yeah. guilty I can change my behavior but you yeah. know, in this instance, doing self-care is not a behavior that is wrong. It's a behavior that's right. So how do, how do you work with your clients oh. in terms of helping them overcome guilt? Jen, I'm going to be honest. You know, there are still times when I feel guilty about certain things. So this, this is definitely something I'm working with my clients, but the messaging that we've received is so tenacious that I still feel it, even after a decade of working in this area. So what I would say is let's take a look at the opposite of selflessness isn't selfish, okay? So I think we need to hold that to the light first. I would say that the opposite of selfless is boundaried, okay? Or we can be kind, loving human beings and have boundaries, okay? So it's about, it's not about being selfish. It's about honouring self, okay? Mm, and that, that means... For any human being, that means the right to have emotions and to express them in safe and healthy ways. And it also means the right to have human needs and to meet those needs. Okay, this is what we all need. I think there's been seismic change in the last couple of decades around exercise and sleep, right? Hopefully people don't feel guilty about going to the gym anymore. Hopefully people are feeling less guilty about, you know, getting the sleep that they need to function, right? But even, even there, I mean, you, you look at medical residents, they used to work 24 hours on shift when they were students. Like the people who were making life and death decisions were deprived of sleep. You know, the kind of, we've got, a, we've still got a long way to go, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so guilt itself how I feel about guilt is it's a necessary emotion. Life would be incredibly messy and chaotic without guilt. But the presence of guilt does not mean that we've transgressed our moral code. Yeah? So like any emotion, it's a messenger. We check in. We might feel anxious, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there is a threat present. We need mm -hmm. to check in and decide for ourselves. The same thing with guilt. I'm feeling guilty about this thing. Am I about to take a step 
that's not in alignment with what matters to me as a human being. Well, actually, no, I'm nourishing myself. I'm refueling myself so that I can be present. Yeah. Am I breaking my moral code? No. Okay. So I can take action even if I feel that guilt. And I just, I like to think of, I've got Teflon shoulders, the stuff that doesn't belong to me. I can just let that slide off and I can take that nourishing action anyway. It's not about silencing guilt. And it's certainly not about eradicating guilt. It's about understanding that it's a messenger and that we get to check in and we choose. Yeah, that is so powerful to give guilt some, you know, to notice it. Where am I feeling it in my body? How is it trying to help me protect me? And then saying, okay, I'm going to let it slide off because is, is this action in alignment with my core values, what I stand for? And, and it's actually the opposite. And I think the cool thing, I love what you said about, you know, this, the, the selfishness and boundaries, because when you practice self-care, you're actually um, sending out a message to all the people around you that I matter, that I'm important. And also you're giving an example to your family, your children in particular, that practicing self-care is a necessity and it's important. And that, you know, mom needs her time and maybe let's all practice self-care together, right? I don't know Absolutely. if you practice with your kids, but let's all, you know, let's all mush up some avocados or let's all take a walk together. And like, and we need to shift this. I don't know. I'm just, I shake my head and wonder how do we get here? I love what you say in your book about, you know, work-life balance. It's insane because we work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And then the weekends are just like doing the laundry, doing the food shopping. Um, there's no time for the self-care. How did we get to this place? And how do we kind of create some work balance in a world which really doesn't uh, give us a space for it. Mm -hmm. I think it comes down to, I call them micro practices. So really simple, compassionate gestures that we can relatively simply and easily weave into our day. Because if you think about the ever presence of stress, whether it's, you know, the ubiquitous nature of, of screens, or whether it's 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 sound, you know, the constant stimulation for our senses. We need opportunities to reset throughout the whole course of our day. But the fact is it doesn't necessarily mean that needs to be a 20-minute nap or 10 minutes of legs up the wall, or, although it could be, and if that resonates and you've got time to do it, please do it. Yeah, but it could be, I've got a whole host of practices that might be 10 seconds long, 30 seconds long, 60 seconds long. But I would also say that it's not just an accumulation of practices or having a really broad, broad toolkit. I would say that it's it's a lens through which you see life and it's a, it's a skill set. So from my perspective, I see self-care as self-compassion. Yeah, it's connecting with your needs. It's giving yourself permission to feel as you do. And then it's thinking about so the, the essential part of compassion is then taking some kind of, of action to help alleviate or, you know, some kind of soothing action. Yeah, that's what self-care is. It's checking where am I at? What do I need? Is it a tall glass of water? Is it just a couple of kind, coaxing, encouraging words? Is it I need a little bit of nature therapy? I need to look out the window and just watch the moving cloudscape or seek a bird on the wing for 10 seconds. It makes a difference. I think all of these things have a cumulative power. 
Yeah. I love, love that you're talking about it, you know, in terms of the lens of self-compassion, because I think of it as, you know, that list, the things you actually are doing to create an action to help alleviate the suffering or to be with yourself as you are suffering, not necessarily to make it go away, just because you are stressed, noticing. And that's something that, you know, I tell my clients is get into your body. I think we're, again, we are also trained so much to live from the neck up. We forget that we have these bodies that want to communicate, that want to say, you know what, you need to get a, you know, stand up and move around the room for five minutes, get yourself a standing desk, keep your glass of water filled, have a healthy snack, you know, set an alarm on your computer or your phone to move around or to take that 30 seconds or to listen to music for a minute or two to try to, you know, elevate your vibration. But it's it's a habit, right? How do we kind of get into that self-care habit? Do you recommend that people sort of schedule things, set alarms? What are some of your, your tips and techniques to help, help people to actually make a habit of giving themselves self-care, you know, through, as you said, throughout the day, it's not just like on the weekends, I'm having a massage, I'm going for a hike, but it's that, oh my God, I've got a stressful meeting in five minutes and I'm feeling, and you know, my, my kid just texted me that they forgot their lunch and I'm stressed out and I need to calm down my nervous system. Um, how do you help people sort of make a habit and, mm -hmm. and develop that intention and awareness to be there for themselves? Okay. There are lots of different approaches, and I would say start where you feel that there's capacity, start where you feel drawn. So one example might be think about what's the scaffolding that you need in your day to be able to function. So from that perspective, it's like, well, what are your morning rituals? What are the things that you need to sort of help you feel energized, focused, prepared for your day? And then throughout the course of your day, what are the things that you need to do? If you're noticing a little slump in energy, what are the practices that you can do that will give you a little bit of a pet? What are the evening practices that will help you wind down and, you know, give yourself permission to literally down tools? What are the things that you would do literally before bed? So it's kind of, it's taking that scaffolding approach. But for anyone that's feeling like, oh my God, that's, that's really big. And in a sense, that is really big. But I would encourage people to observe, what are you already doing? Yeah, what are the things that are happening in your day already how can you make those things more nourishing? So, for example, how you greet the day. Is the first thing you do picking up your phone and scrolling? Now, for many people it is. Can we do a little something before that? Can you just give yourself 30 seconds to do a little sensory meditation where you feel the warmth of the covers, the softness of the mattress or the support of the mattress beneath you, that sense of being held can you listen out for some bird song for a sense of, okay, we're in this together. Are there some, you know, the sounds of life around you, right? So you're starting the day with that instead of picking up the phone. How you have your shower. You can ruminate on what someone said to you yesterday or mull over your to-do list and freak yourself out with the amount of things required of you. Or you could smell the, the, the fragrance of the product that you're using or just really Give your full attention to the sensation of the water cascading from your shoulders, the warmth, the cleansing properties. This doesn't take any extra time. You're doing it anyway, but it's how you do it. Yeah. So yeah. I'd look at I'd look at the scaffolding. I'd look at what you're already doing, making that more nourishing. I'd also get really proactive and think about what are the regular triggers in your day. So, for example, it might be 
getting the kids out, you know, of, of the morning on the school run. Is there a little practice that you could do that would just help you kind of vent some of that? Is it a lion breath in those moments? Mm-hmm. Is it taking 10 mountain breaths before you even, you know, embark on, on, on the school run? And, and having a sense of if I'm feeling X, then I will try one, two, three, you, a list of things that you can try, getting really proactive. And that's that's why I wanted to write Rest to Reset because there are 25 different toolkits in there. You know, what do you do if you're feeling a sense of um, sensory overload? Or exactly as you said, I'm preparing for an important phone call or an important meeting. What can I do to get myself into the right headspace to actually have that conversation? That's how we can use self-care. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's getting the habit of using the scaffolding of your day to create these mind, I mean, it's, it's mindfulness too, being mindful. Yes. Like you can take a shower and you can be thinking about, oh my God, I've got so much to do today. I'm so stretched out. Or you can take a shower thinking this water feels so good. And, and I love little things too, like buy yourself a beautiful soap, you know, yeah. or a little essential oil because, um, and, and getting into all your senses, this, I yeah. love the sense of smell because, uh, you know, our emotional processing is so close to our nose. And so, <laughs> you know, smelling things, tasting things, you know, having a meal and saying, I'm just going to take a little extra time to make that meal a little bit more special. or I'm going to eat it mindfully um, and building these things into your day. I mean, I love even things like saying a moment of gratitude. Every time I get in the car, I'm going to take a moment and just say, Thank you, universe, for helping me to get to where I need. Thank you for this car. Thank you for these children. I think that gratitude piece can really shift our mentality too and bring us into that mindful moment. I want to touch on two of two things, you know, some of the things you talk about in the book, what, what we often do, which sort of undermines our well-being. Um, basically, you know, caffeine, sugar, alcohol, screens. Are there self-care practices that can displace that? Because I find, you know, with a lot of my clients, the majority of people who come to me initially are like, they're doing the threesome with Ben and Jerry's and the Netflix, or they're doing the, you know, cheddar and Chardonnay party in the evening. Got in this place where we're so stressed out that we're looking to substances and screens to help us wind down. How do we get out of that habit? And then conversely in the morning, we're looking at the caffeine and the sugar to, you know, to get us through the day. How do we sort of, displace, I wouldn't say break, but, you know, displace that and get into a healthier self-care mode with, with those practices that are so common. Absolutely. I think we need to bring it to the light first and foremost, because a healthy relationship with alcohol looks different for every individual. Yeah. For some people that's going to be, I'm going to abstain. That's what works better for me. For some people, it's going to be, I drink on a Friday night or I only drink in company. It's like, these are our boundaries with ourselves, And I think we, we need to be very honest. Um, I think a lot of these, they're compensatory behaviors, aren't they? And mm. essentially they're crutches. They're crutches that help us cope in this moment, but actually they make tomorrow harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we need to take a look at to what extent are we relying on them? Um, what actually, what are our healthy boundaries with them? What does that look like for us as an individual? And I think you've named them beautifully. Alcohol caffeine, sugar, screen time, online shopping, and and look at what works for us. And in those moments where we sort of habitually turn to them, the fact is there is an underlying need. And it's not about saying, well, don't do that and don't do anything. Yeah. It's about saying, okay, so if I would habitually pick up my phone and scroll at this time, I'm looking for some kind of connection or I'm looking for some kind of distraction. How can I meet that need 
in a life-giving way. And sometimes that's going to require us getting really creative. Yeah. It, sometimes that's going to require us getting together in partnership with someone else and say, oh, I don't know, I don't know what to do in this place. I need a swap. That's what I do. That's the bulk of my job, actually helping people develop a self-care toolkit that feels resonant and accessible. That's a great alternative to that third cup of coffee in the afternoon or wine o'clock of an evening. Yeah, but yeah. I think because we need to get intentional about it and really take a good hard look at these are the choices that I'm making. These are the consequences of those choices. And I can do things differently, but I just might need to get super organized. I might need to get really intentional and make sure that those things are not in the house or I've actually generated this toolkit that I've written down because I'm in those moments. I'm so conditioned to picking up the phone or picking up that glass or opening that box of chocolates. I need it written down. I'll choose that. It's like a little, it's like a little pick and mix. I'll do that thing instead. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing tips. And I would just add to that too, to do it from a place of self-love, not self-loathing, because so often we're like, oh my God, I can't believe that I just ate that donut and we beat ourselves up but the sense of that I care about myself now and my future self and and I want to support myself and and have less suffering in my life and I think it's also this balance between like the 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 little kid inside of you wants that donut right but the adult self it's the it's the the desire in the moment versus the desire long-term of what you want. And that's a really hard thing because as you know, human beings, we're animals. We'd rather in the moment have that donut. We want that sugar, caffeine feeling right now. And I think the biggest piece is the mindfulness and the pause. Don't you think just noticing like, okay, I'm really wanting a glass of wine right now. What, what am I feeling? What is the emotion? And to say too, that all emotions are okay. That's another thing that we're taught, you know, going back to that baby, um, example that you gave Susie is that, you know, we're taught certain emotions are not okay. And I'm here to say that is a total BS story. The sadness, the grief, the fear, the anxiety, overwhelm, it's all okay. But to notice, oh my God, right now I am just tired. Like what I need right now is not another cup of coffee. What I need right now is I need to take 30 seconds or if I can five minutes and put my legs up the wall and do nothing. Like yesterday I had a meeting, you know, late in the evening six, my eyes, I have eye issues. My eyes were just flunking out. And I was like, I had to, you know, I had to just go upstairs and I have the luxury to do that and just shut my eyes for 10 minutes and do a little guided meditation. And I felt so much better, but it's very hard, but we need to be doing this from this place of self-compassion and love rather than this place of self, self-loathing. Absolutely. That's absolutely pivotal and uh, do you know what it's it's an interesting thing I, I'm curious now from your perspective having studied self-compassion so the, the definition of self-compassion that I've learned and it resonates for me is that self-compassion is a, is awareness of our own suffering coupled with a motivation to to help us alleviate alleviate it or avoid it yeah would you agree is that does that I think from the, you know, the, the psychologist's perspective, but I just think about it as treating yourself the way you would a good friend and certainly yeah. bringing in the three elements of self-compassion that Kristin yeah. Neff has defined, which is the, the self-talk, being kind to yourself rather than critical. So when you notice yes. this critical judgmental voice and that within itself is an act of self-care 
of what is my self-talk? Am I here saying, you go girl, you got this, giving myself, you know, positive thoughts like, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be this. So first walk, working on being kind the way you would, treating yourself the way you would a good friend rather than judgmental and critical. The second piece is common humanity, you know, knowing that suffering is part of life. We all make mistakes, you know, we, we all, that's how we learn and grow. And I think a lot of us are also recovering perfectionists, right? We're all, you know, in this place where um, we've been taught that, you know, if I'm perfect, particularly for, I work with a lot of women around negative body image. Well, when I have the perfect body, whatever that is, then I'll love myself and my body. And we never get there because body image is in the head, not in the actual body. So this idea of common humanity that we all suffer, suffering is part of life. When something goes wrong, it's normal. When we make a mistake, that's totally normal. Because we're always scared of making mistakes. We don't move forward in our lives because we're going to make if you're going to if you're going to do something go for your dreams or goals you're going to make a mistake and you're going to make a mistake around the self-care piece too so that's the second piece is that common humanity the third piece is the mindfulness so when i notice that i'm stressed and struggling so it's that you know five minutes before that important meeting and i'm noticing my kid just texts me i'm stressed out I can take a moment and ask, what do I need right now? I can pull out my toolkit list, right? And I can say, okay, I could listen to music for a few minutes. Do I need to, you know, lift myself up? Do I need to bring myself down? I could just shut my eyes for five minutes. Um, I could maybe, you know, call a friend for a moment, whatever it is, what, you know, noticing what do I need? But yes, your definition is definitely right to notice when you are suffering, yeah. And, and to be there means compassion means to suffer with. So I'm, but it's also, I love kind of the difference between uh, compassion and empathy because yeah. empathy is like, I'm feeling that and self-compassion yes. is this desire to alleviate suffering and doing yes. that for yourself. And it becomes a life fest and, um, and a parachute. Yes. It does. It does. Life fest when you're sinking and a parachute when you want to soar. Yeah. That strikes a deep chord. It's, it's just it's something that I'm grappling with. And I think it's probably, I guess it's a reflection of my own personal journey in the last two years. The fact is, if, if we wait for suffering to tap us on our shoulder, now quite often, that's when we've already ignored a whole bunch of whispers from our mind and body saying, sweetheart, I need this. Sweetheart, slow down. Sweetheart, take a different tack, right? If we wait for suffering, the intervention that is required at that point tends to be labor-intensive, time-intensive. If we had just paid attention to the whisper and been tender with ourselves, well, maybe we we might have only needed to go and have a massage or see a physio. The fact Mm is I've got arthritis in my foot and unfortunately it coincided with COVID where it took a year and a half to actually see a medical practitioner about the pain that I was getting. And by that point, it had got to a point where I, I, I needed surgery. Mm. But the lesson I learned there is don't wait for suffering to stop you in your tracks. Give yourself permission to take action at the whisper. And mm. this is where it's about let's be tender with ourselves and let's meet our needs. Let's get really skilled at listening to this. I, I, I need this thing rather than waiting for suffering to just stop us in our tracks. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And the thing is, too, that we when we develop the habit of giving ourselves what we need and practicing self-compassion, when when we get slapped the face, like I got diagnosed with breast cancer last year, you know, it's like, what? 
and that's suffering, right? Or if someone dies, when, you know, you get hit. Yes. And at midlife, we have a lot of that. We've got, you know, growing kids and aging parents and shit happens, right? So when that happens to you, you've got these practices already in place because suffering does happen. But I love that before, you know, my, my dentist always says like, are any of your teeth talking to you? So like, you know, get the cavity filled before you need root canal. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an yeah. amazing point. Well, it has been such a delight, Susie. I want to let people know uh, the book is um, Rest to Reset and it's hot up the press. It's a beautiful book. Uh, it's available. The Kindle is beautiful. The actual hard copy is beautiful. I've seen your, your Instagram and your Susie reading on Instagram as well. People want yes. to follow you. Yeah. I share all of the practices that sustain me through my day. So if, if anyone's thinking, Tell, what is this 10 second practice that you're talking about? I demonstrate them all on Instagram. So yeah, people will find a whole resource library there. That's great. And you know, I, I actually such an Instagram fan. That's, I mean, we connected through Instagram, but it is, there's so many people who are practicing good self-care and such great examples. And I think the more midlife women come out and say, we're done with this hustle culture BS. We're really, you know, looking to to create a different way of being the more we give each other permission to do that so it's that's beautiful so i encourage you all of you go and grab susie's book it is absolutely amazing and also if you want some help with self-care come to my self-care workshop it's happening on september 28th at 6 p.m eastern standard time it's free the link is in the show notes if you can't make the live I'll sign up anyway, and I will send you the recording. We're going to actually roll up our sleeves and actually create our own self-care toolkit. I'm going to finish Susie's book, so I have more tools to share with you as well. And I want to thank Vividly, who is the beautiful sponsor of Rock Your Midlife. It's a platform that empowers women to transition, edit, and flourish through midlife. You can check them out at Vividly. I'm sorry, Live dash vividly.com that's live dash vividly.com and they're also a live vividly midlife you can check them out on instagram as well thank you all for listening i will see you next week and thank you Susie, so much for being here it has been a total joy thank you so much for having me ellen <laughs>